Hey, everybody. We have made it to another Friday. It is Friday, September 15th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, any exciting weekend plans? I guess it depends on how you define exciting. Exciting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Context. You're in the suburbs. It's Long Island. It's a September weekend. We're grading on a curve. A lot of family stuff, which I happen to really enjoy. I lucked out. I have a great family. And I'm not just saying that because I listen to the podcast, but we're going to be doing stuff for the Jewish New Year tonight and tomorrow. I will say, though, this week felt a little bit long to me. And I realized it was because last week was a short week. Mm. Yeah, we had that extra day. By the way, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, as of Friday night, the Jews will be turning the calendar to the year 5784. And so happy early New Year to you, Jill. And to you and to everyone who celebrates. And Mosh, big weekend plans by you. (laughs) It depends if someone wants to show up this weekend. (laughs) Alex is officially 39 weeks. And so we are awaiting the arrival of baby O at a time of her choosing. We shall see. So um, as of this taping late on Thursday, we still haven't gotten word from her on uh, when she wants to break some news. Jill, it sort of reminds me of my time in uh, TV control rooms where you change the lower third graphics from coming soon to moments away when you're waiting for an event. And I believe we're now there officially. If I was doing a live program on the cable (laughs) news network, I would change it from coming soon, baby O, to moments away, baby O. That's right. I feel like we're watching a podium where there's about to be a press conference and every (laughs) once in a while there's some action, but it's just, you know, maybe a photographer coming to check the mics and you're like, okay, stand down. It's not real. Stand down. Stand down. Uh, This one isn't real. This is just a, this is just a photographer named Braxton Hicks. (laughs) Exactly. All right, Mosh. Well, if baby O decides to make her appearance this weekend, we wish you and Alex the best of luck. If not, we'll see you back here on Monday. But for now, let's get to some news. Let's start overseas, where 20,000 people are feared dead in a Libyan city that has been destroyed by flooding. Is there life out there? NASA releases its highly awaited UFO report, what it says about aliens and UFOs, or UAPs, as they are now being called. Yes, they're trying to continue to make UAPs happen. Unidentified anomalous phenomena. They'll always be UFOs to me. Hunter Biden, officially under indictment. Yeah, if you thought your dad being president will prevent you from being indicted, turns out not the case. Can't you at least get that (laughs) 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 My dad is president and I'm 53 years old. And they're like, sorry, Hunter. You're indicted. <laughs> it's like my dad is president and all I got was stupid t-shirt. I mean, that's t-shirt, what it feels yeah. like. <laughs> and it has, and it might have stripes on it. <laughs> and an update on Donald Trump's election interference case in Georgia. Plus a popular fast food chain, Sweet Green, being sued by workers at seven New York restaurants for alleged racial discrimination. Why France has a warning about the iPhone 12. And a Colorado man wins the lottery. What is the first thing that he bought with all of that money? It might surprise you. Plus a TikTok trend. How often do men think about the Roman Empire? What? (laughs) Yeah, TikTok, man. You never quite know what's going to trend over there. Plus it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. What we are watching, reading, and eating. 
All right, let's start with the death toll from flooding in Libya. It has now soared to 11,300 people, but as many as 20,000 are feared dead after those devastating floods from Mediterranean storm Daniel destroyed nearly a quarter of the city of Derna. It's in northeastern Libya. And that is a devastating toll that global officials say could have largely been avoided. A precise tally of the number of people killed is really hard to come by, given the sheer level of destruction and also the political chaos in the region. Bodies are still washing up on the shore. Burials are being held in mass graves. Part of the problem here is that two dams collapsed this week because of catastrophic amounts of rainfall that were caused by that storm. The immense rainfall caused the Wadi Derna River to swell to several times its normal level, and it left the city to face what has been described as 23-foot-high waves, and it has washed entire neighborhoods out to sea. Yeah, just tragedy there as these numbers continue to escalate. And keep in mind, this is the desert. So any amount of rainfall causes flooding. And this was an immense amount from one of those medicanes, basically tropical storms that sometimes develop in the Mediterranean. So the big question being asked as of Thursday was, how could this have been prevented? Academics have flagged that a collapse in the dams was a potential risk as of last year. They called for immediate action from authorities, including maintenance of the dams. It turns out these two dams have not been maintained for 15 years. Keep in mind, Libya has been in a state of civil war for the past decade. The UN Weather and Climate Agency weighed in, saying most of the deaths could have been avoided with a better warning system. The UN actually issued warnings 72 hours before the collapse of the dams. They contacted Libyan authorities, made statements to the media to sound the alarm here. The mayor of the town called for an evacuation, but then the Eastern Libyan government ordered curfews. Keep in mind, Libya is split in half and has been ruled by two rival governments for a decade since the 2011 downfall of Muammar Gaddafi. Derna itself is controlled by what's called the Libyan National Army, not known to be experts in emergency procedures and flooding. The rest of the country is run by the government of national unity. Due to this, investment in infrastructure development has largely fallen by the wayside for a number of years now, particularly in villages in this area. So the pictures here are just devastating in terms of the destruction here. They put in a curfew instead of evacuating people, which basically ensured that this entire city of residents was being set up for this flooding disaster. A massive aid operation has already begun with leaders from all over the world, including President Biden, pledging support. While some of the aid has managed to arrive and is uh, helping with the rescue missions, aid workers have largely struggled to get to the disaster zone because of destroyed roads, a lack of power, a lack of communication, and this chaos, this divide within the country. Really tragic. We have a lot more coverage on this, including some of those pictures that you were mentioning. That is going to be in the newsletter this morning. And if you haven't signed up already, you can do that on mo.news. Now to aliens and outer space. A NASA investigation into hundreds of UFO sightings found that there was no evidence aliens were behind the unexplained phenomena. But, and yes, there's a but, the space agency also couldn't rule out that possibility. So we can't rule in aliens, but we can't rule out aliens. Is that what we learned? Correct. Okay, good. (laughs) So basically nothing new. Um, Basically nothing new. (laughs) There might be aliens, but we can't prove it. 
Uh, So NASA finally released on Thursday the findings of its year-long study into UFOs, and in its 33-page report, an independent team commissioned by NASA cautioned that the negative perception surrounding UFOs is what's posing an obstacle to collecting data. As the AP put it, the report is calling for more science and less stigma. They say the study of UFOs will require new scientific techniques, including advanced satellites, and also a shift into how unidentified flying objects are perceived. If anyone was hoping that this long-awaited report would offer some definitive answers about extraterrestrial life, again, that did not happen. But it did outline how NASA is going to be investigating what it now calls these UAPs, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, with improved technology and also with artificial intelligence. The head of NASA, Bill Nelson, said the U.S. Space Agency is now going to be taking the lead in researching possible UAP incidents and will also be more transparent about sharing data. They've also appointed a new director of UAP research to, quote, establish a robust database for the evaluation of future data. That director will be using AI and machine learning as they gather data and analyze it. So here are some takeaways from the NASA report. There's no proof that aliens exist, but they might exist. The very last page of the report said, quote, there is no reason to conclude that extraterrestrial sources are behind the UAP sightings that NASA has investigated. However, those objects must have traveled through our solar system to get here. Get it? (laughs) Jill, I'm still convinced that like definitely some aliens showed up here. They took a look at us. You know, I've said this before and they're like, these fools are no threat to us. They're destroying themselves. Let's move on to the next galaxy. (laughs) Totally. Took one look, said nothing to see here. Move on. (laughs) These losers have not figured out anything. Right. They, they can't travel light years yet. <laughs> like, let's give them a few more centuries. Another takeaway here from NASA, we need more info. UAPs are one of the planet's greatest mysteries, NASA officials said, and that is because of a lack of high quality data. So NASA says it wants open source smartphone based apps, other smartphone metadata from multiple citizen observers. And again, they're speaking to the stigma here. They don't want you to make fun of people who say they think they saw aliens. They want people to feel comfortable sharing this information. Don't mock those people, because otherwise we can't get to the bottom of it. The NASA panel was also asked about a series of photographs of purported extraterrestrials that were presented to the Mexican Congress this week. You might have seen this on our Instagram account or over online. These alien carcasses that look a lot like E.T., actually. Apparently, they were found by a self-proclaimed UFOologist named Jamie Mawson in Peru. The bodies were displayed in cases. They have three fingers on each hand. They were recovered from Peru in 2017. Uh, He claims his analysis has shown that a percentage of their DNA is not from this Earth. The NASA officials say, listen, can you hand these over so we can do an assessment over here? But this guy presented them to the Mexican Congress, and it's again, has been uh, received with a lot of skepticism. He says they date back 1,800 years. So these are aliens, uh, extraterrestrials, that showed up you know, more than 1,000 years ago in Peru and then happened to die and be buried next to humans here. At the same time, we should note that this guy who keeps finding alien bodies, a few years ago, he made other claims of ET bodies that he found, and they found that these were just small children with deformities found in Peru. So not to say he didn't find ET existing ET carcasses in Peru, just saying take it with a huge grain of salt, like a a very large ET-sized grain of salt. 
All right, we have plenty more news coming up, but first, a word from one of our sponsors. Moshe, we have talked about how we only want to endorse things on this podcast that we really love, and Bowl and Branch Bedding and Sheets is one of those things. We've had them for a few months now and absolutely have been loving them. Bowl and Branch has made the summer of record heat a bit easier. They're really soft and breathable. We first got them in our house about six or seven months ago, and they absolutely get softer with every wash. Bowl and Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch Sheets, they are made with organic cotton, and they don't have the harsh chemicals that are used by other brands. Right now, they're offering a very special deal to the Monus community. You can get 15% off your first order. Use the promo code MONEWS at checkout at bowlandbranch.com. Again, that is bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is MONEWS. There are some exclusions, so make sure you see the site for details. All right, another one of our new sponsors here. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I am really pumped to have them on board, given how much we talk about the importance of mental health on this podcast. Getting over that threshold to talk to a therapist can be tough for some. I know it was for me. And depending on how you grew up and your view of therapy, it can be a challenge. But talking to a mental health professional uh, certainly helped me. It helped me get through some major blocks, get clarity on things in my life and how to process them, move forward. And I know that it's been hugely helpful to a number of people that I know. So we're very glad to have BetterHelp as a sponsor here at Mo News. And they have a deal right now for the Mo News community. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash Mosh, M-O-S-H, today to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Mosh, M-O-S-H. Time now for the speed read from Politico. Hunter Biden, President Joe Biden's son, under indictment. On Thursday, a Delaware grand jury indicted Hunter Biden on three gun-related charges, including illegally owning a firearm as a drug user and lying on a form when he allegedly bought that gun. Thursday's move is a major escalation in the Justice Department's probe of Hunter Biden heightening his legal jeopardy. The courtroom fight it will play out in tandem with a Republican impeachment inquiry into the president that is scrutinizing his son's business dealings. The indictment notes that when buying guns, people must fill out a form saying, among other things, that they do not use illegal drugs. In October of 2018, the indictment says Biden bought a gun despite being a drug user. It says he owned a Colt Cobra revolver for about 11 days from on or about October 12th, 2018 until on or about October 23rd, 2018. All right, so he says he owned the gun for less than two weeks there, though if convicted on this, he could face up to 10 years in prison, hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. We should note that this type of gun charge is only sporadically brought against first-time offenders, especially if they haven't used that weapon in another crime. But obviously, Hunter is getting a lot of scrutiny, given that he's the president's son. By the way, he's a son. He himself is 53 years old. He wrote in his memoir that he frequently used crack cocaine during the window of time referenced in the indictment, basically implicating himself in the crime because he signed away that he wasn't using drugs when he uh, got the gun application. Then he writes in his book, I was using drugs. He was open about that. Uh, he's been open about his struggles with drug abuse there. What's interesting here is what comes of the trial, what comes of the sentencing. One thing we'll be looking out for, will he also be indicted on tax fraud, the $100,000 in taxes that he didn't pay and then paid back? 
Will they also indict him on that? Back to this gun charge, though, this could tee up an interesting fight on the Second Amendment. His lawyers, Hunter's lawyers, have previously told prosecutors that if he faced these gun charges, they would argue that the law that bans drug users from possessing guns is unconstitutional under the Second Amendment. Sort of ironic, given where most Democrats stand on gun laws. Basically, they're going to go with the conservative argument on gun laws, especially as the Supreme Court recently has really been expanding the Second Amendment, saying there shouldn't be many limits to the Second Amendment. So you will interestingly have Hunter Biden's team arguing a case based on conservative viewpoint of the Second Amendment. Uh, And Jill, as you mentioned, this does come as Republicans opened up an impeachment inquiry into his dad, partly based on what they feel is preferential treatment that the Department of Justice has given Hunter because his father is president. And yet you have a case here where Hunter Biden, the son of the president, is being indicted by his dad's Department of Justice. I was just thinking about the scenario of like President Trump, if like the DOJ indicted Don Jr. or Jared or Ivanka while he was president. Can you imagine the tweets and the firings and whatever going on? So it's a fascinating twist in this saga, especially as there was a plea deal over the summer that fell apart. And just a few weeks later, you got Hunter here indicted. When I saw that headline pop up, I just thought that escalated quickly. I mean, it was like (laughs) really just a few weeks ago that he was going to court, that he had this plea deal, and that in his mind anyway, you know, wipe the slate clean. He was basically cleared of any and all charges and clearly not so. And then very quickly, the DA becomes a special prosecutor. The deal falls apart. And what he thought was a deal over his 11 day ownership and lying about taking drugs while he had a gun, but never committed a crime with the gun. Now he's like officially indicted and facing a federal trial here. And so again, a regular theme here on this podcast, given the leaders we have these days, the law and politics intertwined is something to watch over the next year. Speaking of which, from CBS News, the Trump trial in the Georgia election case not happening in October. A Fulton County judge has ruled that all 19 of those defendants in the Trump RICO case cannot be tried together. Fulton County Judge Scott McAfee ruling Thursday in favor of severing the trials of 17 of the defendants, including former President Trump, from that of two other defendants charged over alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. So the trial for the two defendants, lawyers Kenneth Chesbro and Sidney Powell, that's scheduled to start October 23rd. McAfee denying their request to have trials separate from each other. The judge says that his decision is, quote, simply a procedural and logistical inevitability. He wrote in his ruling, beginning with the logistical concerns, the Fulton County Courthouse simply contains no courtroom adequately large enough to hold all 19 defendants. There are multiple attorneys and support staff, the sheriff's deputies, court personnel, and the state's prosecutorial team relocating to another larger venue raises security concerns that cannot be rapidly addressed. He also pointed to the projected length of trial as a factor. Prosecutors have said that it could be about four months long with over 150 witnesses. Oof. Imagine being on that jury. As we've reported, the Fulton County DA, Fonnie Willis, has argued that all 19 defendants should be tried together. She's saying basically the opposite, that, quote, multiple lengthy trials would create an enormous strain on the judicial resources of the Fulton County Superior Court. Yeah, they also argued that splitting up the cases could give defendants here an advantage because they'll be able to witness the previous cases and then be able to build their defenses based on how they see Willis go after the first few people. So 
Two are going first on October. We will see when the rest, the other 17, go here. No trial date has been set. It would not go before at least December based on the current calendar, which then could mean four criminal trials and three civil trials, Jill, for Trump in a matter of a year next year. We'll see how that gets organized. The indictment, of course, uh, is related to all 19 defendants violating Georgia's racketeering law, other crimes, illegal conspiracy related to the phone call, the attempt to overturn the election there. All 19 of them have pleaded not guilty to all of the counts filed against them. And so we will continue to watch the logistics of that case, as well as the two federal cases against Trump, the federal election interference, the federal classified records, and then, of course, the Stormy Daniels hush money payments to his attorney in New York case that's at the beginning of March. From CNBC, 10 sweet green employees are suing the salad chain, alleging racial discrimination at seven of its New York City restaurants. The lawsuit, which was filed Thursday in New York Supreme Court in the Bronx, alleges that the plaintiff's co-workers and managers subjected them to daily use of the N-word and other racist comments. The complaint also alleges that the managers failed to hire or promote qualified black employees and gave preferential treatment to Hispanic workers. The plaintiffs allege that store managers said Hispanic people work harder than African-Americans and called Black employees lazy. The lawsuit was originally filed in March with only two plaintiffs, but Thursday's amended complaint includes eight new plaintiffs and adds even more restaurants. Yeah, so there's a number of locations in Manhattan named in the lawsuit, sweet green locations in the Meatpacking District, Financial District, Greenwich Village, Midtown, Upper West Side. And we should note that Sweet Green is located in a number of states, has about a thousand locations across the country. As far as these allegations, the plaintiffs also claim that complaints to upper management, including Sweet Green's HR department, were ignored for years. The lawsuit claims managers sexually harassed female workers, making sexual comments, touching them inappropriately. A spokesperson for Sweet Green says, quote, at Sweet Green, we are committed to diversity as well as safe and inclusive workplace. We take these accusations seriously and do not tolerate any form of harassment, discrimination, or unsafe working conditions. From Reuters, a regulator in France asked this week that Apple stop selling its iPhone 12 there after it said tests found that the device emits radiation levels exceeding European restrictions, giving fresh attention to old concerns about health and cell phone usage. Apple disputed the findings, saying that the device released in 2020 has been certified by international bodies and complies with regulations. A French agency said that it expects Apple to, quote, deploy all available means to put an end to the noncompliance and that failure to act could result in a product recall. France's decision could have a ripple effect across Europe. Belgium now looking further into the iPhone 12. The move has revived discussions about the potential risks of cell phone radiation, a fraught topic on which decades of scientific research remains inconclusive. In general, health experts say that modern cell phones emit very low levels of radiation. They also say that the way that cell phones are used now, often with headsets or for texting or social media, reduces exposure because the phones are held at a distance from the head and the body. France's digital minister said the iPhone 12's radiation levels are still much lower than those that scientific studies say could harm users and that a software update could solve the compliance issue. It acknowledges that its tests don't reflect typical phone use. 
So then I don't get it. <laughs> what, what is the issue? So what they're saying is their testing here is a zero millimeter distance, meaning it's literally touching your skin. Like you have it up to your face or up to your ear for a certain amount of time. And we got to look further into this French study for how much time are we talking about it up against your skin? And again, specifically the iPhone 12, none of their other models here. And France apparently inspected 141 mobile phones on the French market and found that when they measured all the conditions in your hand, in your pocket, against your ear, the one that exceeded the restrictions is specifically the iPhone 12 when it comes to RF radiation, radio frequency waves. So in their test, the iPhone 12, and bear with me here on these numbers, at a zero millimeter distance, was putting forth 5.74 watts per kilogram in radiation. And that's that 5.74 is above the four watts per kilogram at zero millimeters. That is the European standard. And so this was apparently simulated to carrying the phone in your hand or in your pocket. Again, I don't know how many minutes here we're talking about. Now, when they did the test at a five millimeter distance, conditions that simulate the device being in your bag or your jacket, the device did comply with their two watt per kilogram standard. So the issue here is holding your phone, having it in your pocket or against your ear for a lengthy period of time. Now, this is a rare occurrence. In the US, the standards for cell phone radiation are actually stricter than Europe. What? (laughs) The radiation here is measured differently, if we can make this even more complicated. So apparently this phone has been out for three years. France did this round of testing. Now the Belgians are on to it. They have an issue with the iPhone 12. They believe just a software update sent to the phone, a new iOS basically update, could solve what they believe is this zero millimeter distance radiation issue for lengthy periods of time. Now, Apple, for its part, says the radiation level here, totally below country set limits. They don't know what the French are talking about here. When we're talking about all this, by the way, you talked about how recent studies have been inconclusive. So there was a study a few years ago on rats that did connect uh, cell phone radiation to potential tumor development. But all human studies in recent years haven't found the same thing, hence the inconclusivity. The CDC notes that cell phones use radio frequency radiation, which is different from X-ray radiation that are known to be harmful. So when we're talking about RF radiation versus radiation, the FDA, the CDC, the European authorities all say, we're talking about a different type of radiation here. And they say that the weight of the scientific evidence, at least the FDA says, they haven't found a link to exposure to radio frequency radiation and health problems. Jill, just saying for extra caution, you know, use the AirPods or wired headphones and maybe don't hold the phone as long, at least not the iPhone 12. And by the way, I do this story as I'm staring at my iPhone 12. So maybe I got to get the iPhone 15. But isn't there something with AirPods that they're supposed to do something? The thing we have here is there's all this technology around us. All this Wi-Fi is putting forth waves. And depending on who you believe, you know, there's theories, there's studies. And it does seem like given all of the technology around us, like, we probably should be spending more time studying its impact. I don't know. That's just my feeling on this Friday. <laughs> As we talk about with all this stuff, with, with clean eating and chemicals and water and, and radiation from devices, I try to just do little things that make me feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. My one thing with phones is that they're, it's glued to my hip literally all day. Yeah. So at night, I try to keep it a few feet away from me. Yeah, that's something Alex, my wife, also advocates. She's like, don't keep your phone on your nightstand right next to your head all night. So we're trying to 
And also, I think it's also just better for you to have your, I know people have said, keep your phone in the other room, but at least keep it as a, at a distance. You tend to fall asleep quicker and, and sleep healthier. From the Washington Post, perhaps our silliest story of the day. Uh, Mosh, how often do you think about the Roman Empire these days? Jill, would it surprise you to, if I said like once or twice a week? You? No. I'm surprised it's not more, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know. People are like, Moshe, I would assume you think about the Roman Empire on the hour. No, a couple times a week. <laughs> okay, it has been almost 2,000 years since the Roman Empire reached the historic peak of its power, but many men still contemplate it apparently quite a lot. A new social media trend on TikTok is prompting women to ask the men in their lives how often they think about ancient Rome and it has revealed that it crosses the minds of many men on a weekly basis, even daily. I don't know about those guys, Jill. That's, that seems like a lot. Yeah, women describe discovering that their partners and male friends think about the Roman Empire, a period of time that lasted from 27 BC to 476 AD, more often than anyone could imagine. Kelsey Lewis Vincent, she was the one who uncovered the secret fixation that many males have with the historical epic after coming across an Instagram video online. She says, I saw an IG reel that said something along the lines of women have no idea how often the men in their lives think about the Roman Empire. So I asked my husband, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And without missing a beat, he said, every day, y'all, why? The tweet soon went viral, garnering more than 8 million views and 26,000 likes as of Thursday morning. <laughs> I mean, these TikTok trends really come out of left field. I, I saw it for the first time, as is typical. It's, you know, shows up on Instagram a few days later, which is where we live, uh, basically. <laughs> and, and I saw somebody on their stories uh, put up a poll on Thursday morning. Uh, and I was like, that's, that's weird. But I'm going to answer that question because I find that interesting. And lo and behold, apparently, this whole trend exists to the point where the Washington Post is writing up. So they try to get to the bottom of why there's a gender divide, apparently, about who is daydreaming about ancient Rome. Jill, actually, while we talk about this, I should ask you, how often do you think about ancient Rome? Never, except <laughs> in the context of thinking about the demise of the U.S. civilization. Yes. <laughs> Which is basically the only time I ever think about it. And I will mention as well, because we're doing this story, I texted my husband and just said, random question. Don't even ask me why I'm asking this. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? And he replied with, never. Okay. <laughs> Michael goes with never. I went with a couple times a week. Jill, infrequent at best. Seldom. I posed this question to our Mo News Premium users. By the way, I love the variety of hobbies and jobs our community has. We have like sculptors and art historians. Some of them were like, yeah, every day because it's a part of my business. Some people who are frequent Bible readers, so they think about the uh, Roman Empire a lot, just given the, the history there. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of people uh, who said never. And then a few women who are like, Women don't have time. We have so much other things in our mind. Like, we wish we had the privilege of being able to have time to think about the Roman Empire. But I'm dealing with school lunch right now. Anyway, as far as the gender divide here, here's the theory from the Washington Post. One explanation is that Western societies have historically overemphasized the aspects of Roman history that are associated with masculinity in popular imagination, think gladiators and that sort of thing. So the first image that comes to mind for many men, Roman legion, the imperial eagle, the military. And so that association with masculinity and power may reinforce why men think about it more than women. And so there you have it. 
the Gladiator and and maybe the the Russell Crowe movie is one of the reasons people are still thinking about the Roman Empire. But Jill, this is one of those things. Remember like the dress that people thought were different colors or that <laughs> right. sound effects that people thought were two different things? You know, we keep seeing these viral things pop up. So this is a fun little Friday thing to try out. Let us know what the men in your life think about the Roman Empire. It is possible that my husband doesn't think about the Roman Empire because he and I share that quote unquote mental load, which is what a lot of women yeah. talk about when they're moms. They have so much that they're balancing, like doctor's appointments and school and school lunches, as you're mentioning. In my house, I'm very lucky because my husband and I kind of share that responsibility. Okay, and finally, from the New York Post, a Colorado woman received two surprises. Not only did her husband buy her flowers, but she also found out that he won a massive lottery prize. I'm going to guess she was more excited about the lottery. (laughs) 77-year-old Bud Tash was on a backpacking trip in the Holy Cross wilderness when his winning numbers were chosen for the September 6th drawing in the Colorado lottery. It was for $5 Sixty-seven thousand and forty-one dollars. When he got home from his trip, he checked his ticket on the website, and when he saw that his numbers matched, he thought, "This has got to be a mistake." After realizing that he actually did have the winning ticket, he chose the cash option: two million five hundred and thirty-three thousand five hundred and twenty dollars. And then he purchased a watermelon for himself and flowers for his wife. The watermelon is throwing me a little bit. <laughs> Not you know, lie. the man has simple needs and simple tastes. He's <laughs> thinking about his wife and good for you, bud. So apparently he plays the lottery every month in Colorado with the same lucky numbers. By the way, those numbers, for those curious, 2, 19, 20, 34, 36, and 37. If you want to try Bud's luck, that's his secret formula, he says. Uh, And it worked. He has now $2.5 million more than he had before. So other than the watermelon and the flowers, he says he does plan to use his earnings to help his wife with some upcoming surgeries, expand his classic car collection, and he also wants to give to a bunch of charities. Congrats, Bud. Congratulations to them. That sounds like money well spent. Those numbers again, 2, 19, <laughs> 20, 34, 36, and 37. Most lightning doesn't strike twice. <laughs> you don't know that, Jill. That's now my lucky number for New York. One more sponsor we want to thank this week. WeWork, you might have heard on this podcast recently that our new home for Mo News is at a WeWork, and they're offering a special deal right now for the Mo News community. We're loving our office space, our desk space here as a small business. We're loving the opportunity to interact with other entrepreneurs and businesses at WeWork. WeWork out of a WeWork in one of their spaces in Brooklyn. It's one of hundreds of locations around the world, and they're offering a special limited-time deal. Whether you're a remote employee, freelancer, small business owner looking for that hybrid return to office, or you run a larger business looking for some space, WeWork has you covered. For a limited time, you can get 30% off your first six months of WeWork All Access using the code MOWORKSFLASH, that is M-O-W-O-R-K-S, FLASH, Mo Works Flash. To redeem this offer, head over to we.co backslash Mo Works Flash. It's only available in the US. Terms apply. Again, that website, we.co backslash Mo Works Flash. Hurry, because the offer ends on Monday. All right, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Mosh, what will you be watching? 
So the morning show on Apple is back for a third season. Jill, for those unfamiliar, it's that Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston drama that takes place at a network morning show. I uh, go back and forth on this show, Jill, because I actually think as someone who worked in the industry, it's probably one of the closest to reality. So close, in fact, that sometimes it's triggering for me, (laughs) depending on the plot line. I'm with you. I did enjoy both seasons. I have wondered, though, how rewatchable season two especially will be just given the COVID season. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I certainly am not ready <laughs> to relive that. <laughs> Maybe one day. I kind of faded out <laughs> on it because the last thing I want to do is use my free time to remember, you know, that like really scary period in 2020. Maybe one day, and when we explain to our kids <laughs> <laughs> what COVID was like, we can rewatch it together. Jill, what are you watching? All right, I know I'm a little bit late to the game here, but I finally finished watching And Just Like That, which is that Sex in the City reboot on HBO Max. I could not get through the first few episodes, and I tried because I have such an emotional attachment to the show, at least to Sex in the City. But I was told by a few friends, keep going. It gets great. Aiden comes back. There is a Samantha cameo. And I have to say it is well worth it. Look at that. Yes. And the reason I'm mentioning it on the podcast is because if there is anybody else out there who stopped watching after a couple of episodes of this season, keep going. (laughs) It, it, It is worth it. All right endorsement from jill because that show gets uh that show i feel like has been very divisive people are very passionate one way or another about it these days okay mosh what highbrow book or article are you reading this weekend (laughs) well jill we mentioned on the podcast yesterday mitt romney retiring calling people out he sort of has a burn book uh in the form of a biography that's coming out where he basically names names calls people out in the senate Mitt don't care anymore. And so there's an excerpt available. I posted a bit of it over on the Instagram account. What Mitt Romney saw in the Senate. It's an excerpt from a forthcoming book by a reporter named McKay Hopkins. And it basically gives you a sense of, you know, Mr. Romney goes to Washington, how ambitious he was and how useless he realized the U.S. Senate is. So yes, that that is my weekend, my planned weekend reading, Jill. What do you got? As we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this weekend is the beginning of the Jewish New Year. So I'm going to be reading a guest essay in the New York Times by Deborah Lipstadt. She is the State Department's special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism. If you've seen the movie Denial, that movie is also about her. So the piece is called Want to Fight Anti-Semitism, Embrace Jewish Traditions. I haven't finished it, but reading from one paragraph, she writes, Combating anti-Semitism requires a shift in perspective. It must sprout from a positive place. We must know what we're protecting from assault. We must be motivated far more by our love for the insights, wisdom, and joy embedded in Jewish culture than by the fight against those who harbor an insane hatred of it. Go on offense. Don't play defense, she says. I think it's more about knowing what you're trying to save. Mm. <laughs> but yes, I, we'll see. I'll read the piece. Sorry, sorry. I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about the Roman Empire exactly, again, Jill. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to see the difference in the way men and women think, I think that just exemplified it. <laughs> By the way, we will link to uh, both of these, as we typically do, in the show notes for this podcast, as well as in the Mo newsletter. All right, Mosh, my favorite part of this segment. What are you eating? 
Jill, I made so much mac and cheese this week with our cooking lesson, our feast cooking lesson. So I'm still chowing down on uh, leftover mac and cheese this weekend. We did a partnership with Feast Cooking. Uh, they do virtual cooking lessons uh, earlier this week. You might have heard it, uh, a bit of it in the podcast or seen it on the Instagram account. They're offering a special deal right now to the Mo News community. You can go to feastcooking.co. Use the code Mo News to uh, do a team building cooking lesson, to do your own, to do a family thing. And so I think they had us make a recipe for four people, Jill. And so I have enough mac and cheese to go around for a bit. Jill, I should add also, given it's the Jewish holiday Rosh Hashanah, that they'll be uh, apparently awaiting us a, a full load of apples and honey, one of the traditional foods, uh, brisket, and and all a bunch of goodies this weekend. So I'm looking forward to uh, having my stomach full all weekend long. Yourself? So I'm going to be eating crispy Parmesan zetar crusted potatoes. Mm. The recipe is from Eden Eats on Instagram. My sister-in-law sent this saying, what do you think? Do you think I should make it for Rosh Hashanah? And I said, absolutely. It looks delicious. So I will share that recipe um, on my Instagram, which is Jill R. Wagner. They look incredible. All right. On that note, I am hungry. It is Friday. Let's get out of here. <laughs> we want to thank you for <laughs> listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Thanks to all of you tuning in all week and all your support all the time. Uh, Shana Tova to the Jews celebrate Rosh Hashanah. Happy uh, New Year to all of you. And Jill, everyone, I'll see you on Monday, I think. As they say in the TV biz, we are moments away. But as we also know, that could mean anything. <laughs> moments can mean days. <laughs> all right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.